Tetragrammaton. So okay, so how far back should we go? If go, you go to the beginning, for, yeah. First of all, before BattleBots, the history of robot fighting. Sure. <laughs> so you know, there's always these people out there, engineers, tinkerers, special effects people, who get a thrill out of building something only to sort of destroy it spectacularly, right? So like our friend, train of my our friends, and even ourselves. We would build models, you know, plastic models that you'd see back in the day at the five and dime store. And you'd build it and you'd painstakingly paint it, put all the decals on really perfectly. And then you'd be like, okay, well, that was great. Let's go burn it up right in the backyard, right? Or blow it up with firecrackers. I mean, you'd find more and more spectacular ways of destroying it, which was almost as thrilling as building it, maybe even a little more thrilling. So this include things like SD's rockets? Absolutely. So we, you know, it's like you're not satisfied with the model, with the SD's rocket. Trey had... Cox boat and the yeah and the airplanes and the yeah I mean our rockets our ST rockets we'd put multiple engines in right yeah. as many as you can right yeah, yeah, until yeah. it didn't fly right or it'd be yeah. so heavy yeah, yeah, yeah. or they ignite and you'd never see the thing again <laughs> you never know where it went and kept going or you put cameras on it or you just try to hack it in yeah. some way yeah. or you know, to to get a, a more exciting experience than just what the company wants you to do and with this it, is right? happening in Northern California correct yeah well Trey was in uh, Toluca Lake. We're cousins, first of all. So our two moms put us together as the boys. And we had a third cousin, Gar, who we were the terrible trio. And they'd always put us together. And so it was, it was between Northern California, Marin County, Toluca Lake, LA, and where Gar lived, which was like Saratoga or something, yeah. you know. Anyway, but there's these, not just Trey and I, but there's all kinds of people like this, right? And, you know, as as... As things develop, you they, these little pockets of, of of fighting happen. So in, you know, we, we heard about in Denver, there's this thing called the Critter Crunch where people smash remote control cars together. In Atlanta, there was this thing called Robo Battles where they would do robot type fighting, but more with remote control vehicles. There in Japan, there was the sumo robots where they build little teeny robots and they have them in a, in a circle and they smash into them and try to push them out of the circle, sumo basically. Our group was sort of surrounding with special effects people, young kids who would eventually become special effects people for George Lucas, guys like Mark Zatrakian and Peter Abramson. And, and we were just blowing stuff up and having a good time. We were inspired by, you know, dangerous toys on David Letterman. Did you guys ever see uh, Survival Research? We were totally inspired by Mark Pauline yeah, and Survival Research. I was Research. really into Mark Pauline. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think we, at American, we even distributed some of his VHSs at one point. Again, just trying to spread the word because it was so cool. We would sneak into his, um, you know, his shows, and uh, they'd always get shut down by the police. But those yeah. those were yeah. fun. I, I've never been to one of his live shows. I met him, and I've been to his place in San Francisco. I don't know thirty thirty some odd Dog years patch, ago, right? Yeah, yeah. But tell me, tell me about the experience of going to see survival, uh, a survival research lab show. It seemed <laughs> it seemed really dangerous. Scary dangerous. <laughs> It was dumb dangerous. Yeah. yeah. It was, people were probably leaving their death, you know, because he'd fire up a jet engine and then people are, you can't hear, it would be so loud. He'd drive things around. I mean, part of his thing is was, you know, scaring the crap out It was out definitely of confrontational. And it could, you know, 
people could have gotten hurt in a lot of yeah. the heat. Remember, he did the explosion thing and all the pigeons. Yeah, there's, there's, he, he stacks up all these old upright pianos onto the pylon that's holding up the freeway in San Francisco, <laughs> right? And it's all, it's literally almost nearly all the way up. There's probably like, I mean, I might be exaggerating, but it seemed to my vision at the time like forty freaking pianos all the way up this thing, right? And then some bomb goes off. I don't know what it was inside the piano, and like. There, there's flames pigeon after on either pigeon. side of the freeway. People driving down the freeway must have gotten paranoid because there's literally flames probably going up. <laughs> up and around the 30, overpass. 40 feet. But, but that caused probably, you know, the, the pigeon population of San Francisco that was living under that overpass to just die instantly <laughs> and fall down to the ground. And it was horrific and also kind I remember of, he also had this, the sonic cannons yes. that would just blast the audience. It was acetylene, it would, and it would go boom, boom, it would shoot that air wave at you. Yeah. And it, it came, it was pointed right at me, and I'm yeah. like, ah. <laughs> And you're trying to watch a show while having cannons of air blasted at you and uh, and, and then there's this cornucopia full of probably just horrible stuff from the fish market. <laughs> that, would, that this other robot would attack and at a certain point it's going to fall on the audience it's just horrible smelly yes. rotten rotten fish probably yes yeah so That's those were quite fun unbelievable i yeah. remember he also had like real animal carcasses on the on the robots and uh yeah it was just a wild bombastic show he had like a very old, punk rock a, a super punk rock and fantastic but you take all of that soup right yeah. And then the sort of the, the real spark is this guy named Mark Thorpe, who worked for George Lucas, was an artist, you know, did all the special effects stuff in the Star Wars era and also did licensing. And he comes up with this idea. He, he buys a tank, one of these giant remote control tanks that used to be in the, you know, thrifties or whatever, right back in the day, just to build it for fun. And as the origin story goes, he, eh, it's a tank. Okay, great. I built it. It's remote control. Puts a vacuum cleaner on it. Okay, I can vacuum my house. That's cool. Yeah, it's boring. Puts a chainsaw on it, and the light bulb goes off and says, aha, I know what to do with this. I can start. I mean, almost like I can start a sport where my like-minded friends can build other cool stuff with weapons on them, remote control, and we can all fight each other. And I'm going to make a set of rules, and I'm going to tell Wired Magazine how cool this is, and I'm going to raise some money. And guess who he raised the money from? Steve Blotnicki. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Amazing. And so that begat Robot Wars. So Robot Wars was the first iteration of a... Of a robot of, fighting... Of a, of a federation, we'll call yeah, it. Yeah, like a robot fighting league federation. League. Um, but where the sport really, really came to be. think of it as be, a sport? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. interesting. Uh -huh. interesting. That's where it came to be, was, yeah. was Robot Wars, 1994 in San Francisco. 1994 in San Francisco. It's more sport than the video game playing and all that. For sure. It's more sport than probably quite a few yeah, things I mean, if, labeled sports out there. If so it's sport of the brain yeah, yeah, is yeah. what we yeah. kind of call it. But you're physically building it. You're, you're getting hurt, cutting things, and, you know, if not yourself. So, yeah, it's sport. And, okay, so now that's 1994, and now how does BattleBots come in to be? So... Mark Thorpe invites Mark Strack in, who builds one of the first robots for 1994 and builds the Master. And there was 18 robots, I think, that year or something. Something like 18 robots. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so Greg immediately gets called by Mark Strack and saying, hey, you got to come check this out. I need help pushing my robot in and doing working on it and everything else. So Greg goes to it and he call, calls me up after, right afterwards, says, hey, you got to come 
do this, we got to build a robot. So for 1995, we built a robot. Our right. robot was called La Machine. And we were pretty much undefeated for two years. Wow, that cool. It was, a, it was a stupid wedge robot, but it worked very well. Uh, it was, you know, fast. and. You, you call it a wedge. Describe the different styles of robots in terms of the main styles of robots. The wedge is one of the main styles. What are the other styles? There's spinners, hammers, you know, spinners, grapplers. hammers, grapplers. Uh, it's really like nowadays, like a wedge is almost like the uh, base. You would. You build on top of the wedge. Yeah, yeah. And almost everyone starts with a wedge nowadays. Back in the day, you didn't have to have, at old robot wars, you didn't have to have what's called an active weapon. And so you could just come with a wedge and plow into people and wedge them into the corners and win a fight by pinning them. Mark Thorpe. And that's what Trey and I built, Law Machine, with the help of this great engineer named Gage Koshua, who's a whole other story. And we won that thing, but Mark was terrified because he's developing this budding sport and he doesn't want it to get too boring because a wedge can be kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Just, you know. And so quickly, this concept of active weapons emerged where on top of the wedge, you got to have something that does something mechanical, right? It can't be. You can't electrocute the other robots. You can't do an EMP. You can't throw. That's interesting, though. Yeah, but that would be such a, fun, a fast fight. Oh, I see. The first time it would be great. Yeah. Second time, you'd be like, oh, he just pushed a button. When did fire come into the picture? Oh, as soon as possible. <laughs> as soon as the fire marshal would allow it. Because they're some of them. Left. Some of them <laughs> yeah. spit. Some of them seem to spit fire. It doesn't seem to have much effect on the other robots, no. but it does add to the show. It's a psychological game, right? <laughs> So if my robot spits fire at your robot, you just have a visceral reaction to fire, yeah. primal, right? Yeah. Like, oh crap. And you might like lose a bit of control when you're using, you're controlling your robot by proxy on the remote. Let's talk about that. Cause that's yeah. a key. When I've watched it, I don't really think so much about the controllers. I'm thinking about the robots. It's almost like the robots are alive right. and fighting, but somebody is controlling it. And I imagine the better you are at controlling it, the better your robot's going to do. Well, so Trey is Absolutely. probably one of the best controllers out there because he's a helicopter pilot. So, Yeah, driving it is, is a part of the secret. So La Machine, very first version of it, had, we had no speed controller. So it was light switches. And we just hooked a car battery up, Gage's car battery out of his Honda Civic. We'd pull out, stick it in the robot, drive it for five minutes, and pull it back out, hopefully before it died, start the car and let that charge it. <laughs> Didn't have a charger either. But we had light switches, on-off switches. So we'd send all that current from the 12-volt battery into these little starter motors. And that's what drove the robot. It was very difficult to drive. However, you know, figured it, it out pretty well, pretty quickly, and got, got a few wins. Yeah. In so. the early days, were there, were there rules of what you could and couldn't do? Oh, what, yeah. What, like, what, were the, what are the rules? What, what are you allowed to do? And how big can it be? And how much can it weigh? And has it changed? Yeah. There, in the, the Robot Wars early days, it was four weight classes from 30-ish, I, I forget the exact numbers, all the way probably to the heavies were probably just under 100. And then when we came up with the, when we evolved the concept to BattleBots, we first started up with lights probably in the 60-ish to super heavies, which got up to 350. Wow. And then at a certain point when we rebooted the show in 2015, we discovered, you know what, one weight class is the way to go for a TV show mm -hmm. because it's one arc of one champion on the road to winning the giant nut instead of four. In the Comedy Central version of the show that was on in the 90s, there was four arcs. It was hard to follow. It was a bit like a three-wing circus. So the ABC version of the show 
we just went down to one, which is now 250 pounds, which seems to be a real sweet spot for size and girth and smacking into someone really hard and being awesome, but not too difficult for a team of five to six, seven people to field. Does the TV aspect of it follow the sport? In other words, does the sport come first and now it's on television or is it a TV show that has a sport attached to it? It depends on who you talk to. <laughs> well, I'm talking, I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> if you talk to us, it's absolutely sport first. Sport first. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We have rules. We enforce those rules. And, it, it's, and the TV cameras are there to capture what happens in the tournament. Yeah. Is there a little bit of TV fun, reality show fun? You're making TV. Absolutely. Yeah. But in the, something like The Bachelor on a scale of 1 to 10 is a, a, a manipulation factor of 9. Yes. BattleBots is like 2. Yeah. If even that, I mean, what you're seeing on TV and something is what like, really happened. even something like American Ninja Warriors would be primarily a TV show. I don't know that that idea existed before the TV show or did it. Do you know? I think that was a Japanese competition. I don't know if it was a TV show in Japan first or just a competition, but but that's a very good parallel to BattleBots because those are real athletes mm -hmm. who really want to do that obstacle course and get to the next level, next level, next level, and our builders are real engineers they're not hand-picked or casted or anything that stuff it's just like you, it's the best of the best build the bot and the fights are real you know boxes lock lights runs robot fighting time go you fight and we see who wins there's no manipulation people we get such stuff from the audience because they're so used to reality shows yeah and they're so used to yeah, everything's politics fake. everything is fake yeah and they think your judges are fake oh yeah but, but no it's all 100 percent that's great. Yeah. And did, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of it, but you mentioned there was a time that it was on Comedy Central years ago and then it rebooted years later on right. ABC. In that window, when there was no TV, was it still happening? Absolutely. Yeah. So the TV is a way to see it if you don't happen to be at the arena. Yeah. But the arena is rocking. It's always happening. We didn't, I didn't think that the TV was that important at the beginning, yeah. you know, until we went off the air for a while. And then I realized how important the TV was. You know, I, I equate it to Little League and Pro Baseball. You can't have Little League unless you have Pro Baseball, but you can't have Pro Baseball unless you have Little League. They need each other. So the TV allows enough people to see it that they get interested and want to participate. And exactly. It's like advertising, yeah. essentially. And it makes heroes out of engineers. Yeah, makes which heroes is out really of smart interesting. people, which we don't do today. What, what's the relationship between, it's interesting that this started in Northern California, that's our tech hub. Right. Yeah. Do you see a relationship between this and the tech world in Northern California? Yes and no. I mean, a, a big majority of our teams come from California, but not so much the startup culture as it is the engineering making culture and the special effects culture in Los Angeles. So we get a lot of teams from sort of the, ILMs of the world and the, you know, whatever's going on, the myriad of companies in Southern California. And then we get a lot from Florida because that's where we didn't, you mentioned the off season when we weren't on Comedy Central anymore and about to get on ABC. We started a nonprofit for kids and to fight robots in the high schools and colleges. So cool. So that begat a lot of kids in Florida doing it, but it's all, it's all just sort of engineering students who think it's awesome. And just that anybody's into that making culture, right? Yeah. Are, who, so it's who the same, it. what would have been the hobbyists who might've been into building ham radio. Exactly. Or the people who would go to Radio Shack to buy parts to build some cool electronic something. Exactly right. 
Yeah. yeah. And there's just a lot of those in California too. because that's where that sort of is one of those ground zeros, one of those epicenters. Yeah. Also, if you've seen, um, what's it called? Any Given Sunday. Like that was another, it's another tangent. It's the motorcycle version of it, but it's still like young people interested in, in that case, racing, putting together their own hot rod bikes. And it's another like do-it-yourself competitive culture. It, it's very much like hot rod culture. Yeah. RC planes. Yeah. You know, those folks who go out on the weekends and fly all over the place and mod their, you know. Yeah. It's these weird subcultures. This one just happened to pop because it's so strange. Like Trey mentioned that first 1994 Robot Wars, Mark depages me and says, you got to check this out. Yeah. <laughs> so I go. So cool. And it, you go into the building and you're like, it smells different. And then there's just, there was this big wall of bleachers in front of me. I couldn't see what was going on. And I walked around the corner and I finally see what's happening from all this cacophony of weird noises that are different than most of the noises you hear day to day. It sounds like a car accident, you know, going on again and again and again and again. And I see this wooden box fighting this phallic giant, you know, saw thing, <laughs> which was the master. And it's an experience you've never experienced before. Yeah. Even in the movies, you know, the first time everyone sees Star Wars, they say like, oh, that was a singular experience, right? Seeing that Robot Wars was in 94 was just like that. And I think that's why people get into it and groove on it. And that's why the culture's starting to grow worldwide and people are doing it. It seems like as the culture becomes more and more virtual, the idea of being able to physically see something, it's a very different experience seeing something in person instead of seeing the virtual version of it. And it's a very different experience building something where you get to see how gravity works and how all of the forces at play in the real world affect it. And I imagine if you do get good at that, it would even benefit you in doing virtual design because you have a better understanding of the real forces at play. 100%. So that's why it's such a valuable thing to get into, especially as a kid, because by building it for real and breaking it for real, you understand how to, you have, first of all, have to be really resourceful to get it to work again, yeah. which is a great skill to have. Yeah. And you figure out how, how stuff, what forces, what the real forces are like and how powerful they can be. And so we've had guys who, you know, built these sort of private um, rocket ships like SpaceX kind of things. And they hire the BattleBots people yeah. because they know how stuff breaks, which is pretty exciting. Super cool. Yeah. And the violence of it is, is a hell of a hook. You know, there's something in us that wants violence. Why else, <laughs> why else would people watch fake wrestling yeah why else would people watch boxing yeah. to a certain extent you know what's there what's in it for us yeah you know and i've you think it's a hardwired thing i think it's a or, hardwired and do you thing. think it's violence or do you think it's just competition i think it's violence i yeah. think it's the destruction it's not the, the competition's there too but i think it comes from the hunt is my guess you know we had to hunt to survive we had yeah. to you know to get food to whatever so somehow that i mean i i got a new puppy yeah and the puppy you know has never been around anything else its mom has never nested and it starts nesting in the couch starts digging and trying to make a little hole to to get itself and it's like where did that come from oh it came from some past instinct where they had to dig a hole to stay warm for the night so yes i think that's in us we want that violence <laughs> however why do people watch car races sometimes yeah. for the crash yeah. but then you feel terrible when the crash happens you almost feel guilty like you wished for it and then when the guy gets out you go oh phew, you know it's okay i you know if he gets out or hopefully he gets out, you know, 
BattleBots seems to bring that violence to you without any guilt. Yeah. Which is really cool. And it's something everyone can enjoy. You yeah. know, I, I watch pro wrestling and that's the reason I do. I like that they're two people working together to put on the best show that they can. And it's very difficult what they're doing. Right. And they can get hurt for real, but they're not trying to hurt each other. They're actually trying to protect each other. Interesting. And you get to see a story. So I, I like that better than boxing where it looks like people are actually trying to hurt each other and just makes me less comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's so many sports where, you know, humans like football getting concussions and all this stuff. But you can get the thrill, that visceral, you know, whatever it is, thrill we get, like Trey said, I think it's that hunt feel from these robots, but it's completely guilt free. It's 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 by proxy. So yeah, I we just can... talked to Jason Blum who makes horror, horror movies and he was saying he thinks it's the it's the way to get that excitement without the right. actual threat. It's like from the comfort of your own home or sitting in a movie theater, you can feel like what these life and death situations are like. Exactly, yeah. Peter Gabriel said this. He wanted to make that amusement park back in the day he was talking about. Like you could get these intense experiences, like almost dying or this and this yeah. and this. And But you're but safe. In, in a safe situation. Yeah. And that's just, you come out of that experience being a more, hopefully a better person. <laughs> Would you say it's continually grown over the years? Yeah, for is sure. Is it bigger now than it's ever been? There's no end to what people can think up and build. You know, there is an end to how fast something can go, maybe. You know, there's an end to how, what you can, I mean, the cars are getting faster and all this stuff. So there is, you know, they keep getting better, but there is some sort of limit at some point where these robots, there's no end to what people can think of, new ideas and perfecting, you know, existing ideas. You know, I think it's at its beginning, to be honest with yeah, you. Totally. I think it's got a long way to go. Every year we get submissions from new robots that, you know, we look at the images and we go, oh, how's that going to work? Well, we got to see, yeah. you know. Tantrum was a robot that was new at, at three, four years ago, brand new. We looked at this brand new design and we thought, you know, oh, is that really going to work? You know, whatever, we'll check it out. First year he came, didn't do so, so well. Came back the second year and kind of dialed it in, did a lot better. And then third year he came, he won. Wow. You know, that's... And it was the same robot with just... Tweaks. Perfected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Learning from the mistakes. Mm -hmm. Learning from his mistakes and, and making it And better. there's little leagues popping up all over the place. All over. I mean, literally worldwide. Really? So BattleBots is kind of like, think of it as the Super Bowl. Yeah. And as the major league. Yes. With the 250 pound heavyweights. Yeah. But, uh, you know, kids are building one pound fighting robots in much smaller arenas. And that's happening all over the planet. Is there a website or a place to see all those different? Go to robotcombatevents.com. Great. And you might find something in your backyard. So cool. Yeah. Because we get hit up all the time. How do I do it? How do I? My kid loves it. My kid can't stop watching your show. How does he, he or she get into it? That's the place to start is find a local event, build something really, really small because it's a lot safer and a lot easier and a lot less expensive. And go and meet some of the people who are in the community who roughly live next door to you. Go to one of those local events and you'll from there it'll be the world wind will take you up if you're really passionate about it. And you'll work your way up to the 30 pounds, the other pounds, and then maybe one day get on the TV show. So cool. Yeah. It's so cool. It's funny, My I have a six-year-old son, and he's obsessed with BattleBots. And I remember after we watched it the first time, maybe a year or so ago, we watched it, and he's very addicted to it. He said, let's get the BattleBot toys. And I said, I have a feeling there aren't going to be any BattleBot toys. Like, this is really underground subculture. 
And he's like, no, I have a feeling if we go to Amazon, we're going to find BattleBot toys. And we went to Amazon and there were BattleBot toys and they're <laughs> great. Yeah. They're great. I yeah. just left the house. He was playing with his BattleBot remote control toys right now. Mm-hmm. So we've been friends with the Hexbugs folks forever. Yeah. When Trey and I started the nonprofit after we, you know, we got booted from Comedy Central after five seasons, like TV shows always happen, right? Yeah. And we started up the nonprofit. And, you know, the problem back then was everyone's on these radio frequencies, literal FM radio, and you can step on someone's frequency. And if my radio is controlling your robot's frequency, that's a serious, deadly situation. So you have to do radio impounds and you have to do all this crazy stuff. Digital technology slowly started to take take hold. But in that middle phase, this company called IFI created a system where you could be on independent frequencies and it was a lot safer. So we forced all the high school kids to use their system. And those are the guys, two guys who started Hexbugs. And so we have we had an in with them. So when we got the deal, when we got the reboot happening with ABC, we said, ABC, you got to cook us up with the toy deal. Go do it. Go do it. And they did. And then eventually we got the deal ourselves. And the rest is history in terms of what you can buy at Target. <laughs> so tell me, why did Comedy Central, I mean, I understand shows get dropped all the time. Were the numbers not good? Comedy what, Central what, was sold. That was the biggest reason. I see. So they were sold to MTV. I and see. And MTV had a deal with Robot Wars. And I see. So that was part of part So of Robot issue. Wars was still going on in the, UK in the UK based on the deal that you guys set up. Yeah. Amazing. Real, yeah. And it still goes till today as well? No. no. It stopped. Yeah, it stopped. It had a reboot as well, but didn't catch hold like our reboot did, unfortunately. Okay, so... You start your company, what year do you guys start? 99? We start 99, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 1999. Mm-hmm. And Comedy Central for five years? No, five seasons. It was really over two oh. and a half years. I see. we did two big seasons per year. I see. And I, Trey's right. It was a lot of that sort of behind the scenes stuff going on. But also we didn't, you know, I think our fault for getting canceled back then was we allowed the robots to get a little boring. Our rule set allowed for it, I should say. I see. And there was was a, Comedy Central the right home for robot war for for bottle. We debated that back because that's another question. Yeah. It's like it wasn't the right show. I mean, comedy in our show needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, there I wish there was more today. Yeah. To be honest with totally, you, totally. Yeah. That element, you know, there was a little bit of fun making of the contestants. That was not the right way to do it. They were the only network that took us. You know, we yeah. went, went and knocked in every door, and of they course. all laughed at us. And of course, Comedy Central laughed and said, "Hey, maybe we can make a funny show out of this." So it it was a starting point. Yeah. If not anything else, you can't knock it. And then after the Comedy Central deal ends, there was no takers after that for a period of time. Well, so you know, the, the robots maybe got a little too boring. So whatever for whatever reason, then they moved us to sat. You know, that classic story. Um, ratings go down, wh- whether that was manipulated or not, who knows. We were on a hunt for about 12 years to find a new network. We hooked up with the guy who executive produced American Idol. We hooked up with Fox Television Studios. We even hooked up with Mark Burnett and James Cameron, right? Wow. They partnered on wow. rebooting BattleBots for We introduced Discovery. them to each other. They had never met each Amazing. other. So. <laughs> that, that show got greenlit in the room, but quickly became a budgetary, insane you know, uh, avalanche because it it's got yeah. James Cameron attached to it, right? Yeah. He's talking about, we can do flying robots with swarms and they can shoot flame balls at each other. <laughs> and Trainer like, you could do that, but that's going to cost a lot of money. Right. And it's not going to make good TV. You know, yeah. And I think the part of the beauty of this is the do-it-yourself right. 
yeah. homemade aspect of the whole thing. Which is the beautiful thing. So, you know, we're kind of getting depressed, right? We're doing this nonprofit for kids. It's working out okay. But the show is not catching hold. And we're getting a lot of like, yeah, we'll do it. And then it doesn't happen. Yeah, we'll do it. And it doesn't happen. Yeah, and the, then the deals weren't right either. Yeah. You know, we could have given it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't, we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to let them take advantage of the of contestants, course. which was a, a Robot Wars issue. You know, the Robot Wars took advantage of the contestants. The Robot Wars, if you saw any of the old Robot Wars, it was the house robots were what they made, right? The house robots always won. The house robots are what they made toys out of. It was never, they were never going to share anything. Part of our deal is to share everything with the contestants. If we yeah. use them or we, you know, they get a percentage of the toy deals, they get part of everything. We started as contestants. Yeah. So we're going to always look at everything as a contestant's point of view and make them as happy as, you know, what we would have wanted if we were on their side. That's great. So that's great. Yeah. But we're friends with the Mythbuster guys, Jamie and Adam, right? And they start doing this podcast called Tested. And that is manager owned by a company called Whale Rock. And Trey sees Jamie from Mythbusters at one of these press upfronts where we're gonna announce that James Cameron and Mark Burnett are gonna, and they wanted to change our name, which really pissed me off. They would change it to Robogeddon. And we had spent years building a BattleBots brand and they wanna change it. So right then I thought, oh, this is probably not gonna happen. But anyway, Jamie says, you gotta hook up with this company I'm with called Whale Rock. And we met with the head of TV there, Chris Cowan, who was probably, I mean, we love all these network execs who tried to help us get the TV show, but Chris was super smart, really great, and was on the same page as us. Like, we wanna make this into a bona fide sport where the builders are the heroes. We don't manipulate anything. And he's a huge sports fan. He just wants to take that model and apply it to robot fighting sports. And we're like, okay, this guy's pretty cool, let's do it. And we hooked up a deal. And because that production company, because it was owned by, what's that guy? Lloyd, Lloyd Braun. Braun. Yeah. And he's the huge EP from ABC. ABC, who launched Lost and Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy. I mean, they're huge shows. We walked in the room and pretty much got a green light almost instantly. And Trey and I were like, ne we never thought we'd make broadcast. It's wild. We're that we're cable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we got ABC yeah, wasn't the right home cable either. Yeah. Good cable, right? But so then we got ABC, but we only lasted basically two seasons there. Really, a season and a half if you really think about it. And then what happened? They, you know, there we got so screwed over by the Hillary Trump election because the show got preempted twice mm. because of their acceptance speeches from the conventions. There was some mass shooting where Obama had to get on and preempt the show, which is horrible, obviously. And then the Olympics, wow. which put us off air for whatever that was, three weeks. Yeah. So we had viewership going up and down, up and down, up and down. And no matter, you can tell that story to network execs, but they just want to see the number be consistent for the advertising. Yeah, and it's, but it's impossible. Yeah, we're, yeah. so we're no win, no, no win situation. We were their only show that was 50-50. You know, they're a female network and they would get the male and the female demographic and they were very impressed with that. Mm -hmm. But they only air things once. And for us, you know, the best is to air it as many times as possible for mm -hmm. all the ancillary reasons and everything else. So technically they weren't really our right home for us. But Although we discovered we something cool is that, yeah, ABC is probably primarily a female demographic these days because the show's like The Bachelor and all this stuff. Back then it was, right? But we learned that our family numbers, co they call it co-viewing, was really, really good. 
So that meant families really like this show, which is a valuable, which could be a valuable thing for another network. But anyway, we got lucky because ABC is trying to make a return on their investment into the show and they start selling it, which is what they do. They sold it to Discovery Science. Interesting. And, and they got the highest ratings they've ever gotten in three years. Wow. Yeah, from a repeat wow. of a bot show on another network. Wow. So we made a deal with Discovery Science. Great. Which turned into a deal with Discovery. Great. And here we've been there for five seasons now. And it sounds like of all the stories you've told, that sounds like the closest to a right home that you found thus far. Its roots are in science. They repeat it on a nice schedule. One of the things that's great about the relationship is they let us shoot a ton of episodes. Yes. which allows us to really format the sport properly. So this, this season we did 54 hours, Incredible. one season. Incredible. Like it used to be you did 100 hours, you were syndicated and you were, that was, you know, we did 54 hours in one, one season and we shoot it in 10 days. What show can you do that? You, you go to, you go to uh, any network and they're saying, we love your show, 10 episodes, guys. Yeah. And to really format the sport properly for all the robots around the world that want to compete in it. And this, this is the best of the best. Yeah. To do it in 10 episodes is Impossible. difficult. We're going to do 22-hour shows this season, plus wow. a summer special. Wow. And that's what we needed to do the basically the madness of, of, of World Championship 7. Yeah. If there was no historical precedent for television, and if you were starting now, would this all just be on YouTube? Or would you still be looking for a TV deal? That's a good question that's because good question, there's, yeah. you know, there's an opportunity. Our deals with discovery or year by year yeah so i don't quite understand that game to be honest with you i don't watch netflix or any of the stuff online i'm not a emailer yeah so i don't know how people find you that way i change a channel and when you get to that i'm still i'm old school you know i change channel. you get to that channel that looks interesting you watch it you know how do you find that you have to be on the home page how far do you do you dive into Netflix before you find it? Or, yeah. you know, how much do they promote it? I'm, I'm also asking because I've had personally the opposite experience, mm -hmm. which I was looking for BattleBots. I'm searching. It's hard for me to find. Finally, there's some information. It's on the Discovery Channel. And then I go to the Discovery Channel, and it's behind a paywall. It's not a channel that I subscribe to. There's already a load of channels that I subscribe to that I don't watch. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to see anything on the Discovery Channel other than BattleBots. Right. Am I going to subscribe to the Discovery Channel for BattleBots? I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. So yeah. in my case, might have been I'm an active viewer and I might not be willing to go there. Welcome to the world of television right you know, ownership. <laughs> it's so confusing. It's so con yeah. And our internationals are even worse. Because you have to do the deal that works. And I think we're maybe at the spot now where we could do like a YouTube. We could certainly do a Netflix or a Hulu or an Apple TV or an Amazon because they have decent budgets. But it's not a cheap show to produce. The arena alone, maintenance on that and the restructuring of it and the rebuilding of it, it gets pummeled every year. And it's built such a way that a bomb could go off in it and everyone would tell be me fine. The, tell me the story of when, when did was the arena originally conceived of and built? So back in the Robot Wars days, we had a wood, you know, piece of plywood that stood about that high, and that was it. And then we put a little piece of Lexan in the front, and shit would go over the, <laughs> the Lexan or, or whatever, and it was very dangerous. It was a yeah. little Mark Paulini in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and part of my input on BattleBots is making it safe. The whole goal is having nobody ever get hurt. 
you know, so contain these robots. How do you, and the robots get tougher and tougher every year. So I rebuilt the arena again last year, two years ago, two seasons ago, I redid my floor and made it like I thought it was going to be bulletproof. And it was made it through that entire season with very little to any damage, which was great. And I go, finally, I fixed the floor because you'll see people get stuck in the floor. Two seasons ago, you didn't. And they came back this year and they beat the crap out of my floor again. It's, you know, and I'm like, well, what has changed? You know, the, the motors are the same. We had brushless motors two years ago. And that was the big gap that, you know, happened over. And what they figured out was how to dial in their speed controllers to make the brushless motors that much more powerful and how to program them properly. And so they beat the crap out of my floor again. And now I've got to go back and my, the arena is my bot now, you know, where I got to, yeah. that's how I try to contain it. When you come to the event and you see my bulletproof glass, which the glass alone is over a million bucks wow. in that arena, the, you know, the thickness of the floor, the, all what's the, walls, the, what's the size of it? 50 by 50, roughly 50 by 50, yeah. about so, 25 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's half the size of a basketball court. Yeah. yeah. And it's also changed a lot in, in from the early days. It seemed like it was a lot of uh, ground and pound action. Yes. And now there's a lot of stuff flying. It, yeah. it seems like the bots are strong enough to throw each other around. They are. And it's, it's dramatic. Insane. They're tossing. People hit the roof this, this year. Yeah. So a couple robots a couple times hit the roof. So you have a 250-pound object. Yep. Flying. Flying 25 feet in the in air. The air. And yeah, and what and goes ricocheting. up must come it's down. Serious. Yeah. It's serious. Yeah, it's serious. Well, you see the dents in the arena. People go, "Oh my god!" And the steel is, you know, it's major. Yeah, it's like a shooting range. Essentially, it's worse. Yeah, it is worse. These robots could kill people in seconds. Yeah, you know, without a question. The only place you can play is in the battle box. Yeah, it's so great that you you use the robots for good. It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> if anything were to happen. <laughs> Somebody was. If anyone you know, needs any protection? Yeah. <laughs> but Elon was, you know, Elon was talking about, you know, the Terminator, you know, kind of scenario, yeah. or you know, an AI taking over the world. Well, that's what BattleBots will take care of every problem. Great. Right. Good we'll, to know. We'll take out the other. Good to know. When yeah. Chat GPT seven <laughs> takes over the planet. Right. We'll tell me. It. Tell me more about the business model. How do you find the creators? And business basically, model? how does it work? We yeah. have to have a business model. No, but I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, 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 the community <laughs> is so strong now that they pretty much come to us. So we have a, a website, registration.battlebots.com, which will soon probably be changed to book.battlebots.com. I forget what it is. Anyway, you can apply there and you upload your pictures, your CAD files, picture yourself, get a little resume going. And then we search through those. We weed through those and we search for the bots who we want on the TV How show. How many entries do you get? We've got probably more than 500 in there, but year upon year, we probably get 100 extra per year. And there's always the usual suspects who have to come back, you know, that you gotta have the Hydras and the Tombstones and all those folks come back again. And a couple teams might be put into um, relegation because they didn't do so hot last season. But then we go through the applications and we'll find probably 20 who are pretty damn good. And then we'll have this, we call it the chair throwing meeting where Trey and I and our showrunner Aaron Catling and Chris Cowan will sit there and Tom Gutteridge, who's also one others. of the and we'll, we'll, and Pete, the bot whisperer, and we'll just like argue about our favorite robots and rally, you know, advocate for them, right? No, we gotta have that robot. The orange one is the coolest. And then we'll pick six of those or 10 of those maybe out of the 20 to replace some of the bots who had to go into relegation. And then there's always a series of alternates who will get in if someone drops out. 
and it's usually 50 to do the show and off we go. Is there any way during the weekly shows that you do to be testing new yes. bots for the... So that is a great segue, yeah. <laughs> the proving grounds. Yeah. So, you know, like I said a few seconds ago, nobody could play with these robots except in the battle box. And that's been part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So now we have a live show, nightly live show in Vegas, where we're showing the audience a simulation of what you watch on TV is what it is. And we have opportunities for newbies to come perform and prove to us that they are capable and qualified to go into the television show. It also allows our past contestants, our pros, to come practice. You know, no place can they take these and try new tires, try new speed controllers, try new things, you know. Well, now they can come to the live show, compete in the live show in front of an audience and dial these things in, which is going to help our TV show. And the newbies, if Greg and I were choosing like we do now, who's going to come to the BattleBots event, we would have never chose La Machine to come to the event. We would have never. And La Machine was one of the greatest robots television-wise at that time or, you know, yeah. uh, for what it did. It, so it sometimes just seeing it perform is more important than what you think it's going to do. You can't only get so much across in a picture and a CAD file and a video on, they have submit a video too. Whereas you see it really fight. You're like, oh my God, that thing's amazing. Or, been, it, or it's funny. Or it's something that's worthy of it getting a spot in there's the TV show. There's always newbies that, you know, we let into the TV show that are like, I'm work for NASA and I can build this and I build these famous things for DARPA and I'm a great builder. And we go, okay. And they submit a great design and they do crappy. Right. Yeah. You know, they almost always, I, I or always, I don't know if one's ever proven themselves to us, but you've got to come and compete a couple of times. You've got to come and see a show you know, before you ever build anything and see how big and bad these robots really are and how really strong they are. It, you know, they're not toys. They're, they're not little. Some are six feet tall. Some are, you know, five, six feet wide. If you look at Mammoth, it stands way above you and way wider than you. And But Mammoth's a great example because we learned about Mammoth from video at a local competition in Florida. So we got to see it. And we're yeah. like, oh my God, that thing is crazy. That's gotta be on the show. Where if that was just an application on a website, you would like, know. that thing looks like a jungle gym. Yeah. How, it's gonna break in five seconds yeah. is what we would have thought. Yeah. But by seeing it really fight, it actually knocks people out of the arena. We're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's such a crazy world. It's so fun hearing about it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a whole world. It is, it's a crazy, weird subculture. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like the people who are into it are obsessed with it beyond the people that are there are the best people in the world yeah. you know it's like in it's there's no other event you can't go to a concert or anything and find these kind of people you can't they just they don't exist but it battle bots they yeah. come there they share they help each other out you know if your motor's broken i'll give you one of my spares because if i'm going up against you i don't want you saying that i lost because my motor was broken i want you to say i beat you fair and square amazing and they they all love each other they amazing. all get along terrific yeah. and that's one part of the show that i have to say if anything's lacking in our show it's it's not seeing enough of the pit because a the camaraderie that trey was just talking about is huge it's amazing of them helping each other but also the just the the trials and tribulations of my whole robot just got destroyed. Literally like two pieces, like the fight between Cobalt and Ghost Raptor where it was <laughs> split in half and it's like two pieces. Yeah. Chuck rebuilt that whole robot in 48 hours and made his next fight. Unbelievable. Let's, that story is crazy, right? Unbelievable. How did he do it? Yeah. I mean, that's some engineering insanity. Yeah. 
So, so that's another rule is that if you're damaged, you have to be in good enough shape for the next battle, otherwise yeah. you're out. Yeah, exactly. Even if you win. Before each fight, you have to weigh in obviously, and you have to do a functional test, meaning your weapon's gotta work and you gotta be able to drive and you gotta be able to fail safe, obviously, because we don't want radio problems. And if they can't do that, we'll postpone you as far as we can. But if we reach our end of our shoot day, which, which, which happened to Glitch last season, sorry, Glitch, you can't make it. And that was a tournament fight, which was horrible for us because we've never had a robot who couldn't make it. But typically robots will rally and you know they'll find the most amazing solutions for that problem to just get back in the ring. Would you say that there's a personality type amongst the builders that's a similarity in the people who are building these? Engineers are interesting people. They are definitely the weirdest people that you can you know hang out with they don't communicate real well they're not real people people to a certain extent most of them uh you can get that when you watch the tv show and some of them are interviewed uh they're all smarter than i mean it, you know at the end of the world these are the people you want to be with yeah you know these are the ones you want in, in your cave or whatever because they're survivors they know how to make things work and how to figure things out uh but they they're different yeah when the zombie apocalypse happens that's the They'll be the ones to figure out the perfect compound yeah. and get the power back on yeah. and get the water flowing again. What are the um, what are the logos on the bots? Because sometimes I'm watching and I don't know the name of the bot and I read a logo, but that's not the name of the bot. Yeah, so uh, we allow sponsorship. When Trey was talking before how we wanted, we wanted to find the right TV deal for the builders as well as for us, it's all about getting the buy-off from the network to allow corporate sponsors on the bots themselves, just like a NASCAR would or a Formula One car would, because these things are expensive. And we have build stipends and other travel stipends and hotels and shipping, blah, 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 that's covered in our budget, but it doesn't get you all the money that you would need to build some of these robots. And if you win, what do you win? You, so we've done something which I think is pretty cool with the prize money, is we do it, and the builders wanted to do it, is instead of giving some ginormous purse at the end, we just split it over every fight, win or lose. Great. So you just get money yeah. because you're damaged. Not yeah. they they when they're fighting, they see dollar signs. Oh my God, speed controller, two thousand dollars. Oh shit, that was a motor. That's another eight hundred bucks. And but they they know at the end of that fight, win or lose, they got some cash. Cool. Yeah. I would say it's mostly a break even deal for most most of the teams. I would imagine from their sponsorship money and maybe their time they put in is a little bit you know a little bit more in most cases. Some are, some are making money doing it not all the sponsors are getting better but do they, for sure do, the, do these people have time to do any other thing in their lives or is this their full time no they're they're full-on got families and jobs so there's always this dance we have to do of like okay when are we going to shoot it schools colleges got to get off other people have to take their their two weeks from their job and so there's always this sweet spot that we find in the middle of the year that coincides with when the network wants to hook us up that coincides with when the building is available and all these other things that it's really a big, big production number. It's big orchestration, but then we make it happen my, over two weeks. My guess is what you'll find with your son is that this will inspire him. And he will, you know, before he might've been playing video games or sticking on his iPad or iPhone, which is, you know, not gonna take him anywhere. And he's gonna say, dad, help me do something. Help me build one of these. You know, I wanna go compete. I wanna go come watch first, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. I wanna go compete. 100%. He'll start small. And then he's gonna go into engineering when he gets into high school, college. The rest of it, the guy's going to become a math wizard. He's going to be working, you know, for the space program like a lot of our contestants. Technically, you know, we back in 1994 with the Robot Wars days and all the kids that have grown up with us have 
you know, become something special. Every single one of them. So cool. And there's a whole like sort of uh, supply chain culture forming around the sport now. Yeah. Battery suppliers, speed controller, and really on-demand parts. These companies that have a giant water jet machine. It's just this thing that you put a big piece of metal down on it and it cuts parts for you. And so those companies are booming right now because I don't know if they're booming, but they're doing pretty well yeah. because of not just our sport, but we're a nice chunk of it. Well, and we're making those things that people want to make now. Our, our contestants don't buy a skateboard, you know, motorized skateboard. They don't make one. Yeah. You know, they make their own electric bike. You know, yeah. they make their own whatever they want. That's a beautiful thing. Tell me more about the uh, building the arena and how it's changed from the beginning to now. So you said it, it started, it was just a wooden platform to start with, and now it's this 50 by 50 thing. How many seats are there in the in the place for, for viewers? A thousand. A thousand. A thousand yeah, seats. Yeah. Wow. That we'd like to fill nightly. So far we haven't gotten that far. <laughs> yeah, We're yeah. about 300 to 500. You know. How long has it been where people could just come all the time and see Battle So we just, just did our 25th show so 25 so it's a yeah, brand new thing a month yeah. yeah 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 so and it's nightly it's nightly, nightly. so yeah. battlebots destructathon is the nightly show think of it as a just a showcase version of the tv show yes real fights there yes, no yes, outcomes yes. determined yes. it's you'll see your favorite bots from the show you see hyper witch doctor all that stuff and you can only see this if you come live correct okay and then yeah. we'll stop that's an that interesting down. thing to think about also would that be a good thing to have on YouTube or Twitch or something oh, just hell, to hell yeah just well, to build the when when we get the proving ground part of it added to Destructathon, absolutely we'll want to stream that on Twitch because that's people's opportunity not just live in Vegas but around the world to see the potential new bots to come to World Championship Eight, which we'll try to do as soon as we can. Like again, this orchestration between the builders and the network and all yeah. that stuff. And F one is coming to Las Vegas which is crazy, they're our next door neighbor. So that's gonna be a real challenge and a lot of fun. Yeah, there might even be crossover. Who knows, Verstappen and Hamilton fight some robots. <laughs> it might help them <laughs> fix some of those cars up a little faster too. <laughs> How does uh, what's happening in this world compare or relate to what's going on with like, uh, is it called Boston Dynamics? Mm -hmm. The people who make the, mm -hmm. the robots that you hear about, mm -hmm. yeah. not the fighting robots. You know, Atlas, which was made by Boston Dynamics, was actually made by Scott LaValle, who was one of our buddies that we built robots with as little kids. Mm. You know, so there's a crossover. There's definitely a crossover, yeah. We get flack from engineers all the time. They're not real robots. You can't use the term robot because the term robot implies a certain amount of autonomy. So a, a, your dishwasher is, has more autonomy than a battle bot. And that's why we called them a battle bot because they're remote control. So the Boston Dynamics stuff is the, is the state of the art for AI controlled and bipedal, you know, inverse kinematic walking systems, right? That can be used for all kinds of stuff. We are remote control attack vehicles to thrill you and entertain <laughs> the crap out of you. attack vehicles. <laughs> but, but our contestant made the bomb, one of the bomb disposal robots, you know, which is similar. So it's the same principles, but a different application. Yeah, and, and there's a meta application, like I talked about before, is that if you know how it's gonna break, you're gonna be a better engineer on how to fix it, and you're gonna be able to build it better. So that's why a BattleBot engineer who's been through the trials and tribulations of the actual show shoot, where you're fixing your robot again and again from total destruction to perf almost perfection, 
five times over, you know, two weeks, that becomes the best engineer to help you build the next version of Atlas because, you know, when Atlas falls down the stairs, well, I know how to make it better. I've dealt with that with Ghost Raptor, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. What you learn from a robot braking is phenomenal. So we still crash cars, even though we could crash them on a computer over and over and, and not have to physically crash it. We still physically crash cars because we learn something from that. Yeah. So what you learn from building these robots and building these axles and brakes and everything else that we put into them, these are the people you want building your car because they're going to make it so it will be safer, it will be stronger. It seems like there's something about when you get your data virtually you get something from it, but you don't get everything from it. I know when it comes to recording studios, the old recording studios that were built before there were computers, the great ones sound great. Right. And now the way recording studios are designed, it's all computer rendering for sound. And when you're in them, they don't have the same life the magic, that these yeah. old studios have. Mm -hmm. And something gets lost in the translation. There's, mm -hmm. some, there's something that, incalculable right that's different than just the stats that are measurable 100 percent, and that's what we're, i think we're going to discover with ai is like everyone's all on the chat gpt bandwagon yeah. but if you use it spits out stuff that's a little bit generic it's a little bit sanitized i mean of course you can prompt it better and it's going to get better and better at tricking us but it'll never be able to write you know like shakespeare well i heard an interesting thing uh, famous about, last words about all of the different ai's the competing AIs is that if they all have the same data, if they're all starting with the same data set, which currently they are, mm. that as they get better and better, the answer that you get from any of them will just be the same. You'll always get the same answer from all of them. Yeah, which which makes you wonder is like, are we, like two years from now, are we going to have just sort of AI stagnation, you know, or AI um, homogenization where it's just like, okay, the AI wrote that obviously. Let's get some humans in to train it better or for us to add take it as a as a base and then we'll add the human humanity on top if of you, it if you were to take a, a song and you give it to five different artists to perform it you'll hear five very different versions of that song if you right. take a script and give it to five different directors you'll get five very different movies it sounds like with ai you'll get the same one every time yeah and that doesn't sound so interesting no exactly or it'll be this sort of real you really be able to sniff out it's trying to be like Steven Spielberg. It got trained on Steven Spielberg movies, this AI movie, and you'll be able to sniff it out. I think we're gonna get more and more sophisticated in our, in our perceptions of that kind of stuff. So I don't think the human artistry is dead quite yet, hopefully. Tell me what are the, what are the rules of BattleBots competition? When we started, it was very simple. There's a few rules, common sense, you know, no gunpowder, you know. <laughs> No. Can it, can, are there any gas, gasoline-powered bots? Yeah. There are, yeah. 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 Ice Wave's one of them that's still around. Slam. Blendo was one by Jamie Adam, Mythbusters guys, was a gas-powered. Mark's master was gas-powered with master, the chainsaw. Yeah. There's been a few. So when we were in the Comedy Central era in the 90s, we tried to figure out everything that we didn't want people to do. And it was too much. The rule book was like 50 pages. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, but you can't do this. It stifles it over the top too. And people would think of bots that we would have allowed, but the rules didn't allow them to. So we kind of took that eventually out and threw it away and said, you know, look, submit your robot idea. We'll tell you what you can and can't do. And that's kind of where we're at now. There are some common sense rules, but it, it's... There's a weight There's a weight rule. There's, there's a weight, weight rules, rule. and you have to have an active weapon. 
and, and you can't is there do, a size any has to, has fit, to, in the to door. fit in the door fit in the door yeah, yeah. but there yeah. are that's ones reasonable. that have come in the door and then open yeah up. if it can't fit in yeah. the door we can't, yeah. can't. got to fit in the red we square a, blue square we had somebody show up the very first year and you know he says okay i'm here you know I go, where's your robot he says it's, it's in my car and we're like well go get it he goes well it's part of the car and we're like, well, you know, he had an EMP. He was going to knock the power out in San Francisco for about a mile around, right, throwing the switch of his car. I don't think it would have worked, but we're like, because it wasn't in the rules that you couldn't have an EMP. Yeah. We had yeah. kids show up with, with tape once. One of the great stories was, you know, very fancy robot with virtual LED goggles and cameras on it and a turret that went in and out and it would toss nets and all this stuff. I think they spent like $70,000 on this robot and these two kids build two wooden boxes with duct tape between them and carpet over them. Multi-bot starts as one, breaks off, spreads out the tape and duct tapes up the $70,000 robot. Amazing. And it was great. Yeah. The audience went crazy, but it didn't make good TV. It wouldn't have made good TV the second time. You know, so that we can't allow tape at this point, you know. So mm. people come up with ideas like dumping water or glue. We had a guy that was submitted something that he had this hot knife that he was going to cut through steel, you know, with. And I doubt he could have done it. I doubt he could have had enough power. I mean, you know, electricity to, to even pull that off. But, you know, stuff like that. Like, how do we remove that? You know, how long does it take to cool down? How do we shoot the next, you know? So the only ne- negatives from us are practicality yeah. or just that's not a great fight gun. You know, throwing water on your opponent is the perfect example. Because the robot, it's not going to be a spectacular end to a fight. It's just going to dead. So that's, that's a no-go. But if you keep the weapons mechanical and uh, within the weight limit and can fit, it's, we're pretty good to go. We need to see it. So yeah. if you can't see it, it's not going to make a TV. So we don't want to allow, we had people show up with Halon to put out some of the gas motors you know, and stuff. Halon was a, you know, eats the oxygen that stops. It's a, like a fire extinguisher kind of thing. You know, that doesn't make good television. You can't see it. The electrically shocking the other robots, another thing you can't really see. There's ways to protect for that. Flame, flame makes good television. It doesn't work real well, you know, yeah. but it uh, makes good TV, so you allow that. Trey and I still, though, we still have the Animal House and the ending of Animal House in our heads. And we do want to have a robot that releases 10,000 marbles just to see what <laughs> That'd happens. That would be great. That would be so great. Yeah. Clean up on aisle four, but yeah. let's do it. And we don't mind psychological warfare either. Trey and I, one time we went against this guy named Carlo Bertacchini, who was the best guy. He'd show up with a screwdriver and a battery charger, and that's all he needed to fix his robot because it was so well engineered. It was, it was a study in perfection. And, oh, my God, we have to fight Carlo. And so instead of stressing over how we're going to beat him mechanically, we tried it psychologically. So we put a picture of his wife on the top of the robot, thinking he would not, on top of our robot, thinking he would never want to uh, attack his own wife. I don't know if it was a good idea, but. There's a lot of mental games that go on during the event. <laughs> Tell me some others. This is interesting. So Psychological the, game. My favorite one was actually Jamie Heineman. So this is early days, way before they were Mythbusters or anything. And he, um, built Lendo, and he's going up against, I don't know what the other team was, but he goes over and talks to me. He says, hey, how you doing? You know, cool-looking robot. Oh, wow, we're going up against you next. He's all nice and everything else. And then he turns and he walks away. And as he walks away, he pops a couple Alka-Seltzers in his mouth. 
and he gets his blood up and he turns himself all red and he turns around and looks at the guy and he starts drooling out of his mouth and this saliva and bubbles are dripping and he gets all mad and the guy's sitting over there just scared to death starts shaking he's going up against him next that's so funny. absolutely classic people will take pool noodle you know so we robot edges are very sharp so people have to cover them in the pit because you don't want to scrape your knee as you walk past one that's actually one of our biggest rules but people will use pool noodles to cover up corners but they'll also take them off sneak over to the other guy's pit table and use them as measuring they'll use them as yardsticks to measure how far are they off the ground how big is that saw blade how what's their clearance on their wheelbase and then they'll go back and have all these little sharpie marks on their pool noodle and figure out a way to reconfigure their bot because they're going to fight that guy next wow so they can get underneath him or do whatever so there's well, all kinds of games interesting idea so the bot makers don't know who they're going to fight in advance they do now in the old days how long how long in advance do they know so in the old days up until the season we basically told them the day before right and so they didn't know until that night before three um, in the morning you know now we tell them the first four fights that they're going to be in you're going to be in four fights Here's the four people you're going to go up against. And strategically, you can decide which weapons you're going to use, what you know, you're going to sacrifice. A lot of people have different ideas, attachments for what kind of robot they're going up against. They might not want to lose. They might only have one of those attachments. They might want to save that for the, you know, the nightmare fight or something. You so know, you can of, have a different attachment if you win a fight and then in, your, in the next fight, your robot can change for that next fight. Yes. It's just the, what happens if someone has a, a second matching robot they can't they're allowed we, we, to you, you should have you you because there's you so many fights you really should have you people should come have with at least three you can have a double yeah people usually have three now of the same robot same yeah you, if robot. you see hypershock yeah. team hypershock they are rolling deep with three hypershock chassis and probably 40 spare parts if you, their pit table is just an array of fenders and wheel guards and tires and everything they need to fix it a time and because they'll fight Probably, I mean, I'm getting this number wrong, but maybe if they do well in both championships, 12 times. Yeah. The it's crazy. pits are unbelievable. When you walk into the venue, you see our arena and everything else, the thousand seats. It's a big, big area. And your pit tent is a little, you know, it's much bigger than, than the arena side. And you see there's 2,000 people in there and there's all the pit tables and all wow. the parts. Wow, so the and pit section is bigger than the arena. It's massive. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the energy in there is unbelievable. So you got to come for the, yeah. the live show, but you yeah. also got to come for the TV shooting. The TV shooting, it's tougher to watch because we're filming television. So yeah. we've got to, you know, the announcer goes up or Farouk messes up and we got to reshoot and reshoot, reshoot, get the lighting right. I mean, the fights themselves, once they start, that's, you know, it goes till that part, but everything else is up and down and we'll ask people to sit there for four hours. You know, the live show is an hour and a half yeah. and it's fast entertainment of just fight after fight after fight and a little bit of, you know, video while we're sweeping the floor and when after a particularly gruesome battle and uh, if one of the one of the robots gets trashed bad, how do you get it off the field? We go in there and sweep it up, put it in garbage bags and take it outside. Trey has a crew called the crew bots, yeah. which are dudes who will who are super fast and safe at getting the bots on carts, rolling them out, putting out the fires, dealing with all the issues that can happen inside the box. The whole box has this exhaust system that you know deals with fires yeah Trey's crew has gotten that really really tight even in, even in the tv show why do you think kids are so obsessed with it 
That's a good question. I think it's just so much fun. It's so, it's like Trey was saying earlier, it's this hunt. It's this thing that's ingrained in us in our lower brainstem that is expressed in this really fun sci-fi kind of cool way, maybe, that you see these machines. And, you know, I don't want to be too sexist about boys really love these things, right? And the machines and they dig it. And it's also fighting, which is also kind of fun and, and exciting. So something about that. We had a Make-A-Wish kid three nights ago. And Blake. at the end, after everybody left, I let him drive Witch Doctor was his favorite robot. So I said, come on over. I'm going to let you drive Witch Doctor in the box. And he's driving it around. and driving. He's driving great. You know, he's missing everything, everything like this. Finally, he goes over and hits the wall. And his mom goes, don't hit the wall. And I'm <laughs> like, no, no, it's okay. Hit the wall, you know. I think we're told not to break our toys. We're yeah. told to be careful. We do things so safe in the world. There's a freedom in it. There's something yeah. about, you know, it's okay to break your toy here. Yeah. You know, it's okay to let go. Yeah. It's okay to do something. You know what? Again, you built it. You can always build it again. Yeah. You know, that part's... What does everyone do with their sandcastle at the end? Jump yeah. on it. You jump on it or you let the waves take it down. What's the, the satisfaction? The, there's this, it's the yin-yang of construction and deconstruction, right? Yeah. It's like you build it, but you also want to see it kind of get, it's fun to see it get destroyed. And BattleBots gives you the ability to well, do it. Well, it's like it. the Tibetan monks who, who do these sand mandalas and spend time making this intricate, intricate sand mandala with different colors and it's magnificent. And as soon as it's done, they wipe it away. Yeah, and that sort of like speaks to the... Um, Just the impermanence of everything. Yeah, right. Everything is ephemeral eventually, right? Yeah. And and that's a good lesson for humans to know because that's it. Life it's is real. what it is. It's real. Yeah. When did the idea of traps in the arena become a thing? That was there from the Robot Wars days. So old time, there's always been... They had flippers and bumpers and nets. But when the battle box was first built the the vision was to have it raised two feet off the ground so you could have stuff pop up from underneath the first of which was the kill sauce you know and robots back then were a little boring so this was to make it a little more interesting plus you know partly through a fight if you did have an active weapon it would maybe be broken and this would make the fight a little bit more interesting now you can take them over to the pulverizer take them over the saws push them there make that that also makes good television. What's also interesting about that is that those can be stronger than anything that you could put on a bot. So they it's can. a it's a it's yeah. a way to get heavy artillery involved. It is, yeah. <laughs> and we're one of our new ideas, which we'll mention here for the first time, yeah. is to uh, allow the contestants. We have the the pulverizers are now controlled by the contestants, so they control the hammers. The saws oh, come up randomly. That. I didn't uh, know the that. little flipper things and a couple other things are all done randomly. Do you have like the 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 corkscrew thing? Yeah, yeah. Those those just get turned on. But the one idea is we're going to allow the contestants to put a weapon on the pulverizers, so they can attach. They could put pull the hammer off if they want, put their own weapon on there, and now they're controlling their own weapon in that corner, wow. which might add a new element to the show. But wouldn't both sides <laughs> get to use the same pulverizer? No, so they each get two pulverizers. So oh, one's right in front of them, and one's directly kitty corner. I see. Yeah. I thought the pulverizers were just equally against everybody. No. That's why you'll see it sometimes where, why isn't the hammer hitting? It's because that's my hammer. I don't want to hit see. my bot. Yeah. I see. And there's a timing and a strategy for yeah. that, so... Sometimes is, they use is there the any way to color code? It is color coded. It is. Well, it's probably not, no, not good for the audience. Those. Yeah, it's on for the, the floor. It's on the floor. If you see a little diamond that's red, 
yeah. underneath the hammer, yeah. that's the red side's hammer. I see. That's how you know. But the floor gets so beat up, it's only like the first fight of the day after the paint job at four o'clock in the morning the previous night that you really can see it. So we should probably come up with a better way for the audience Would to know. Would there be any benefit in putting like a red flag and a blue flag on the bots themselves so that... Because once once they're yeah. once they start, we don't know who's red. We don't or there's know. a lower third that shows you something. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does it matter? I mean, at that point, I don't know if you. It depends. It depends on okay. details. Always it's, matter. It, it seems starts like, to matter you know? if you do what you just said, which is you're putting a attachment onto the hammer, the red hammer versus the blue hammer. Yeah. It'll be more exciting knowing. Yeah, this the blue bot's about to go under the red hammer. It's yeah. Point. It That's adds true. more drama. It's true. We've had some fun ideas for the arena that we just haven't done. We've had we, tons we, of ideas. We wanted to have a bowling ball shooting machine that the red That's and blue side. That's a great idea. So if you, your partner, like on your team, yeah. could have blue bowling balls or red bowling balls that they just pummel, like almost like a shotgun, that they That's shoot out at the other. That's a great idea. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> Wait, there's a lot of ideas. It's now trying to so We wanted to have the drivers it. in yeah. the middle of the, of the arena on scissor lifts. So, and they could actually go up and down to at their will to better see and control. Wow. And and there would be a perimeter protecting the scissor lifts, of course. That's an interesting idea, But it just too. becomes one of these money things. And we didn't want it to wind up being too much like one of, a crazy sort of game show. Yeah. It, but maybe one day we'll add some cool stuff, extra stuff. Or even just the perch above is interesting. I guess for, in terms of steering, they'll probably, where they are is probably the best place for actual steering back to driving driving is difficult right yeah. it's it's difficult just to drive a remote control anything away from you once you turn it towards yourself it changes right everything's backwards yeah, all the, yeah everything changes. and when robots flip upside down now you're dealing with multiple factors then you've got all kinds of things is a wheel bent you know is it gripping so now i can't drive straight because this is gripping is a tire slipping more is a tire gripping more is you know all these different factors centrifugal motion you know, all the weapons that spin, they cause an object in rest, object in motion, centrifugal motion, all that. It makes it much more difficult. You'll see robots flip up. You'll see uh, things that you just, physics happening in that box that, you know, affect your driving. So it makes it, makes it even harder. People like, why did, why does he miss the robot? They look like they were trying to hit each other. Well, that's because that centrifugal weapon's forcing him over here and he's trying to counter and that wheel slipped and the traction on that saw blade lexan is less than the actual floor the paint's gone on that part of that <laughs> section so it is i mean there's so many reasons it makes it so difficult it seems like the best spots when they get flipped over can right themselves yeah. or can still continue upside down yeah. and work right the old days we had a lot of robots that lost by getting flipped over yeah. nowadays everybody's kind of figured that out you've got to make sure you can drive you inverted you better have a strategy. Or you flip back over. Are there any general rules like low center of gravity is good? Or are there any general good practices if you're building Best a robot? Practices. You want good grip because you got to drive, right? The audience complains a lot about exposed tires. So builders go back and forth having ex non-exposed tires versus exposed tires. Some people don't care because I'm, I'm so fast. You got to catch me and get the tire off. But the best practices are really probably in the electronics with the, the lithium polymer batteries, which have a lot of strength to weight ratio. Like, so you get a ton of power out of those things. When did those first come into the game? Really in the early 2000s. So like Trey said earlier, back in the 90s, it was a car, we had a car battery. Yeah. And then people did NICADs, which were the stuff you'd see in the, you know, you'd shove in your, your Super 8 video camera back in the day, right? 
And now it's lithium batteries, either life batteries or life polymer batteries. And they, that's what's in your electric cars. That's what allows the Tesla to go from zero to whatever and you know nothing. So you just get that strength, that power out of those. That's why we can see not only the drives go super fast, but the weapons spinning amazingly fast and powerful and delivering blows like, I don't know, Muhammad Ali bot, you know, just crazy. Is there any downside to speed in a bot? I don't think so. Faster the, tends to be better. Yeah. The, the, we hate wedges, right? Being the first wedge, we hate wedges, right? <laughs> However, everybody... You don't have a sweet spot for the wedge? No, we have just the opposite. Um, you know, and one of the ways to fix wedges is you make the floor uneven, you know, or you put bumps and change the floor. You put it, you know, different level. You go up an inch or whatever, and that would change it. But that also takes away from speed. And speed is good. Speed makes great television. Speed makes great action. When you come to a live show, we pretty much have been ending the live show with the Witch Doctor Hypershock fight. And the two of those robots are so fast. They're just jetting all over the arena and slamming into each other. And the parts that are flying, it's spectacular. And but it's you a, need speed. It's a balance, though, because we, we like to make the floor a little bit uneven, maybe an eighth of an inch you know, between panels. And there's also little bumps on the floor. These little Hellraisers pop up. And that prevents people from overplaying the ground game yeah. which so many robots do nowadays they'll have a razor sharp front wedge just to get underneath you and if if we had a perfectly smooth floor i think these smart everybody would do the same everyone, thing it would be homogenized. that would be the whole game exactly so you got to add that randomness to it but the speed's fantastic as long as you can control it so this season we have claw viper which is a grappler bot which i think can go to across you know 40 feet in half a second you know, the length of the box. Wow. It's insane. Wow. And it's got magnets that suck it to the battle box floor. <laughs> and it, it does, it's, you know. What's the floor made out of for magnets to stick? Steel. A little paint on top, which might screw it up a little bit, depending on the thickness, but steel. Do the, the contestants know the details? Like, they'll know it has to work on a wood floor, for example. I need build a different bot for the conditions. Yeah, they more or less. Us. We tried to, we put the shelf in without telling the contestants. We surprised them. When What's they the shelf? It. The shelf is that new feature, that upper deck. Yeah, which has the... Uh, the screws pushed the screw. out, yeah. yeah. They weren't real happy about that, but because there's kind of two entrapment spots now on the sides that they don't like. And, but both sides have the same... Yes, yeah. It's not but like it, it one... biases certain bot, like a, oh, I see. a full body spinner or a horizontal spinner has, has to really spin up that weapon quickly. And they better not get trapped in those short corners. Otherwise, without a fully up to speed weapon, otherwise they could be, they're super vulnerable back there. It's got its advantages. But too. we've, we've, they, they bug us for, give me the specs of the saw blade slot so I won't get stuck in them. Give me the specs for, you know, this and this, this. And we give it to them so they can retool and re engineer to not get as stuck as maybe they would have in a previous season. Do you guys have to remain impartial or do you root for certain robots at certain times? Inside, definitely rooting. Outside, just have to remain impartial. Yeah. Why would it matter if you were partial? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, just because it's a TV show and there's the specter of, like I said earlier, like of people think, just because we're so used to reality show and politics, people think there's shenanigans going on I in see. everything. I see. But I think Trey and I both want, at some point, want a launcher to win the damn fight, the giant nut. Every time somebody wins with whatever style they have, it changes the playing field you yeah. know when a uppercutter wins they, everybody yeah. builds an uppercutter when a uh, you know tombstone wins everybody builds a tombstone and you know this year when you see who wins i'm gonna be a lot of people copping that robot yeah, you know because yeah. that's what 
what they do. So we've always loved flippers. Flippers are great. They're great eye candy. They're great to see when you're yeah. there live and you see like yeah, 250 when they pounds. they really fly, <laughs> it's so cool. Slamming Hydra against Bronco the wall. Hydra are and, so cool watching live. Yeah. This is what they can do. So tell me about the mindset of going in. Let's say, let's say you were going to make a new bot. Mm-hmm. Tell me what do you where where does the thinking begin? You know, so La Machine was our first bot. Our second bot was Ginsu. Ginsu was the saw blades for wheels. Ginsu <laughs> could kill you in seconds. It not only would take your leg off, but it would you know you would you'd be dead. Um, <laughs> it's one of those robots you look at and you are afraid of just because of what you see. You see, it's basically a, a circular saw robot. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. circular saw that can chase you across the yeah. room. And super Ginsu and the come blades get you. are this big. You know, they are massive. You know, you look at um, Nightmare. You know, that's a robot. You you look at and that, you th- that could kill me, you yeah. know, within a second. And I would have no memory of it ever again. Yeah. You know, no memory ever again. <laughs> Those are robots that are interesting because they come with a mindset where you look at, you know, Tombstone. Yeah, okay, maybe it could kill. Or better one would be Witch Doctor. You know, Witch Doctor, you kind of... Looks kind of fun. It looks kind of fun. And it tosses robots around and it's it's a very great robot against other robots, but it's probably not going to kill me. It might, but it's probably not unless it got me in a certain spot, you know, or a certain way. So there's a mental part of it. You know, how can you build a robot that looks, you know, like if I was going to throw a robot in to stop somebody from hurting me or take it to war, Ginsu's the robot I'd take because you roll that out there, people are running, you know, where some of these other ones, you're, you know, although they make great fighting robots. So what would I make? I don't know. I think jumping has been under, not, not, not even ju- utilized. Bouncing. Yet. Yeah, no one's yeah. built a jumper yet. It'd be cool to see something jump, hop, you know, and then something pops out of it. So that, you're not thinking in terms of this is what I think will win. You're thinking this is something I'm curious to see. There's multiple mindsets. There's the mindset of I want to win, and then you study everything that's won, and a lot of those people will wind up building a vertical spinner with four wheels, a witch doctor, hypershock, bite force, end game, clone with a little bit of their own pizzazz thrown on top of it. Then there's the people who say, I wanna break the meta. I wanna do something totally different. Yeah. And they, their mind goes into the creative mode. And then you get the huges, you get the mammoths, you get what else? You get even a, like a tantrum, which is a vertical spinner, but it punches. And we always tell people, you know, we like the meta robots, the ones that do well, that's fine, but always try to come up with a new twist on the tried and true weapon systems that everyone's been using so if you're going to do a vertical spinner do something different with it and tantrum did that for instance can you imagine someone coming up with a new robot that beats all of the past winners maybe yeah Yeah, it's possible sure when we look at some of the new ideas that we end up letting in the past sometimes you go well you know that looks like it can do something we just saw a new design the other day for potential season eight that's really interesting. Totally different than anything we've ever seen before. So that might come to proving ground. Yeah, so, so, yeah someone might come up with a breakthrough design that nobody thought of before. And it, it, all, and, it, and it may work in a way in the practical world that's unexpected. 100%. Yeah. What, we're, what we're seeing, a lot of back in the day, we saw weapon types get invented, right? So back in the day, you'd see, oh my God, someone did a horizontal spinner. Now they change it to a vertical spinner. Now they change it to a drum. Now someone did a flipper. Now they did a hydraulic flipper. So there'd be these kind of weapons would be invented. Now we've kind of seen most of the weapons. There's probably still something that someone hasn't come up with yet, but now you see the refinement, right? You do the vertical spinner that's 
got the tooth on it you know yeah. that's off center and that punches them up and go they go right. you do the vertical spinner that's off access you do the vertical <laughs> spinner with a flywheel which is ripperoni this season right you do those kind of refinements so perfect more like that. blip you know blip is a wedge you know with the flipping mechanism but how he made that mechanism work is where the technology is yeah i mean came out totally it just has so much more power than anything so much more power. Like it and the ideas from a trevisier you know so ancient technology moved in the future and just spectacular implementation of the entire idea so cool so my wife wants to make the bionic bouncing boob which is basically a ball that you know with spikes on it that just yeah. bounces has an offset weight in it and drive it there's got to be some jump see no one's done jumping we gotta have jumping, a jumping we allow flying and all that so you could make something that flies we had a couple bots that were one was lighter near had balloons on it and that didn't work real well we had a guy that showed up a couple years with the you know kind of Robot never competed, but it was supposed to float above the ground or fly above the ground. Oh, yeah. We've had, you know, people come with drones and flamethrowers and that kind of thing, but none of that seems all kind of one-hit wonders at this point. Flying is an interesting idea, going up from above and trying to... Uh, do, do any use uh, treads, like tank treads, instead mm -hmm. oh, yeah. of... Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the bots in the live shows, Diablo, which is a treaded bot. Yeah. And we'll probably see some tread bots next year. Yeah. Uh, Emulsifier in the new season is a treaded bot. And it's interesting because sometimes treads fantastic way to outmaneuver your opponent, and other times it it slips and slides, and you're you're screwed. You're stuck in one place, slipping and sliding. Yeah. So it's it's that's the new game, right? With treads, like okay, now do I have to put nails in the treads to get more grip, or what do I got to do? Right? People have figured it out with the wheels. Now they got to figure out with the treads. Yeah. So there's always this. What was the breakthrough with the wheels? The wheels has been people do everything from putting tennis balls inside of them seen people put coca-cola on them i've seen just getting the right tread like an all-weather tire you would have people do it like hypershock has an interesting tread uh, profile but it's also obviously the motors and gearboxes attached to them to get the right torque on the tire itself from the get-go all kinds of stuff our contestants have wheel fetishes yes there is a, and i had no idea when we we had the contestants build these robots for our live show uh, we had witch doctor build five witch doctors and stuff. And I, you know, said, okay, let's try to use as many of the same motors as we can. So I don't need to stock all these different motors and this kind of stuff. And I never thought the wheels were going to be an issue. I thought, oh, we're just going to use all the same wheels or yeah, whatever. Everybody's got their own wheels. They want their own wheels and can't change the wheels because it's a look in their thing. And so I had no idea there were so many it's wheel fetishes. Cool. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hypershock will emblazon their tires with their logo. Yeah. I mean, they're cool stuff. Yeah cool is there anything else that i should know about this uh, sport that i don't know i would say you know most important thing is come and see it come and see it firsthand yeah. it's it's it is totally different than what you see on television yeah yeah you gotta come to both the, the live show is yeah. great you know and that's entertainment the tv shooting is phenomenal because of the energy what would it take people. what would it take to have a live show that could go on the road so the box that we presently have is designed to be a portable box. Wow. It's designed to be moved to set up and torn down. And that's what it was done. That's how we did the event in the past. We go to Long Beach, set it up, hold the vent, take it down. So it's portable. The problem is now is the robots have gotten so tough that we really need to, you know, reinvent this box and, and make it more of a permanent box. But when we do that, we'll have our old box that'll be ready to go portable again. The biggest issue with going on the road is the cost of setting up the battle box the battle box is it takes a while 
takes time, takes a lot of manpower. It's very heavy, fits in 18 trucks. Yeah. Is there any venue that would be safe where you wouldn't need the box? Mm-hmm. Not with That's, people around. No way? Yeah. No way. I mean, we've, we've had this dream of doing it out in the salt flats with the audience watching. But if you watch virtually, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not the there. Same. You got to yeah. see it. When this stuff slams in the glass in front of you and you kind of just go, oh, you know. And we get this thing all the time, like people, when they come see it live, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe how big they are. Yeah. Because yeah. TV shrinks everything. Yeah, yeah. That's why you got to come see the thing live because you'll smell it. You'll feel it in your bones. The arena will shake. The motors, you'll hear it. It's the full five senses, you know, on alert when you, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck. That's, you only get that from the live experience. I can't wait. It's cool. It sounds great. Yeah. Battlebots.com slash tickets. I have to plug it. I have some Battlebots.com slash tickets. Yes. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and doing it. Thank this. you for having us. It's been a lot of fun. We're fans. <laughs>